0: and I are are watching a show right now that traces the story of a young prince. His family rules much of northern Europe through the strength of their military, but, but this character was actually raised away from the battlefield. He has never seen war. He has never seen bloodshed. He has never seen the cruelty and violence of humanity. And as the show progresses, this prince becomes king, and he must begin making decisions on behalf of his people as he's coming to power, as he's expanding his reign, he has a single goal in mind. World peace. An end to conflict. An end to war. Unity between powerful countries. Almost immediately, he learns a brutal lesson. There's no peace without war. There's no peace without violence. There's no peace without judgment. Rebellion. And opposition to his rule means that there can be no lasting peace in the land unless the world is first judged and recreated in his image. We all want peace, don't we? We all desire well-being. We desire an end to conflict. Even even individually, we desire inner peace, emotional and, and psychological stability. We want to know if we're doing the right things. We want to know if the road we're on will bring lasting comfort, happiness. Friends, true and perfect peace only comes through the judgment of God. There is no peace without the judgment of God. If there's anything you you get from our text today, I hope that you will learn and see illustrated that true peace only comes through the judgment of God. Turn with me to, to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8 there's some bibles in the pews there in front of you if you need one and as you're turning there let me let me st- let me set the stage for us so we're being dropped straight into a long history of the israelite nation in 1 Kings 12 the kingdom is divided between northern israel and southern judah and the book of kings traces the downward trajectory of god's people straight into destruction and exile our passage today marks the violent end of the northern dynasty of King Ahab. 2 Kings chapter 8, follow along with me in verse 25. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. He went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. So here here we're introduced to Ahaziah and Joram, the the respective kings of southern Judah and northern Israel. And even though God promised in 2 Kings 8, 19, that, that he wouldn't destroy Judah, it's clear that the infectious idolatry of Ahab has plagued both of the nations. Judah's king? Ahaziah is fully wrapped up in the ways of Israel. Not only is he the son-in-law of Ahab, his works are also denounced as evil in the sight of the Lord. Ahaziah partners with Joram, the son of Ahab, to fight against the Syrians, and it's in their recovery from defeat that this narrative begins, and we meet God's violent deliverer. Read with me in chapter chapter 9, verse 1. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, "'Tie up your garments,' And take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee, do not linger. Here, the author of 2 Kings brings fulfillment to God's original declaration against Ahab and his family. You can read about it in 1 Kings 19. God anoints three individuals to bring judgment on his people. Hazael, king of Syria, Jehu, son of Nimshi, and Elisha, son of Shaphat. And the fact that all three individuals appear next to each other in in this narrative is, is significant. It's a warning that God's judgment against Ahab is imminent. And the narrative specifically focuses on the anointing of Jehu. Verse 4. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole, whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel, and I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the country of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. When Jehu came to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, You know the fellow in his talk. And they said, That is not true. Tell us now. And he said, Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. God will judge idolatry. God will judge rebellion. And you can see in this text, there's a a high repetition of this statement, thus says the Lord. And as much as the the upcoming stories are going to make us cringe at the violent nature of Jehu and his rebellion, we, we need to remember that God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is bringing judgment according to his word. Jehu is anointed by God to bring God's judgment on Jezebel and the house of Ahab. And in verse 11, we see a foreshadowing of the purpose of this revolution. It's to bring peace. The servants ask Jehu, is all well? Is there shalom? Is there peace? Is another way to put it. The next four sections illustrate this principle that that true peace comes through the judgment of God. If you're taking notes, that will loosely be the outline. True peace comes through the judgment of God. Four examples. I'll try to make some application throughout, but, but as we're walking through each story, I want you to be reflecting on this question. Where do you look to find peace? Where do you look to find peace? Read with me in verse 14. Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram, was with all, Isra- Joram with all Israel, had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. So Jehu said, if this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman, and send to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So a man on horseback went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger reached them, but he is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. Again, the watchman reported, He reached them, but he is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Joram said, Make ready. And they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out, each in his chariot, and went to meet Jehu and met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Okay, we'll, we'll stop here. Jehu, after being anointed king, after being recognized by the people, immediately heads to Jezreel, where Joram and Ahaziah are. And as he's nearing the city, there's, there's this almost comical exchange that happens twice. Jehu, Jor, Joram sends a messenger to Jehu and says, is it peace? And Jehu's response is direct. You don't know anything about peace. You take orders from me now. And eventually, Joram himself goes out to meet Jehu. Verse 22. And when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace can there be so long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? There's no peace as long as rebellion exists. It was true for the young prince in my show. It was true for Jehu, and it's true for us as well. Rebellion against God removes any semblance of peace from our world and from our relationships. But what exactly is peace? The, the Hebrew word for peace is, is shalom. The concept is one of well-being, a state of everything being the way that it's supposed to be. Peace is more than just peace. A reprieve from war. It's more than just an end to conflict. It's all encompassing. True peace, true shalom is the state of life where all of our relationships are put right. That's our relationships with other people, our relationship with ourselves. But as, as Tim Keller puts it, most fundamentally, shalom means reconciliation with God. In other words, true peace can only be experienced when a person is in a right relationship with God. During a a NAVS conference last year, I attended a workshop about Gen Z, who comprised the the current college age and and myself. As an exercise, we watched a music video about a a well-known song to illustrate the way that my generation views life. And and fortunately, I thought that it applied to more than just, you know, 11 to 26-year-olds, so It'll serve as an illustration for us right now. 21 Pilots, stressed out. These are the lyrics of the chorus. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. I, I thought about like singing it, but I decided not to. <laughs> let, let, me, let me explain how this helps us to understand shalom, biblical peace, a right relationship with God, with others, and ourselves. We look at our lives and we feel stuck. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. I wish I could go back, back to my old school, back to my college days. We look to an old job, an old home life, old friend group. Life was better before responsibility, before illness, before children, before COVID. The problem is we're not looking far enough back. This this desire for well-being, this desire for everything being exactly the way it's supposed to be is meant to launch us all the way back to creation, to the Garden of Eden, to the declaration of God that everything is good. Back to when man walked with God himself in perfect paradise. There was no pain, no death, no violence, no shame, no anxiety. But we sinned. We rebelled against God. We we rejected His authority. We looked for purpose and satisfaction in other things. We broke the perfect harmony of God and man. And shalom in the rest of our life shatters from that one point of impact. We're left wishing that we could turn back time. True peace only comes through the judgment of God. So God brings it. Jehu kills Joram with an arrow through the heart. Unless we forget that God's word brings judgment, the author reminds us in verse 26 that the Lord made this pronouncement. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. So Joram and Ahaziah are killed in accordance with God's word. What do you look to for peace? How are you trying to restore peace on your own terms? Joram and Ahaziah, they they trusted in their standing as kings to escape God's judgment. They trusted in their military strength, their, their alliance together. Where do you look to find peace? Do you think a successful career, a good reputation will fix the brokenness of your home? Do you think that a perfect job will rewind the clock and give you reprieve from the pain of life? Do you think a pious and religious life will free you from the condemnation of God? If I do enough for God, he will forget my iniquity. None of of these things will bring true peace. God is the one who will bring shalom, and he must do it through judgment. True peace comes through the judgment of God. Our second example comes in verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, who was on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. Then he went in and ate and drank. And he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field, in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. These are the, the kinds of passages in Scripture that are hard to deal with. You know, we, we like to skip over them, or like, we'll read them, that's a cool story, and then I'm going to go read the New Testament instead. But even though the, the surrounding context clearly shows us the meaning of the text, it doesn't get easier. Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, the woman who brought idolatry, sexual immorality, and sorcery to the land, is brutally murdered. Again, her own people turn against her. They side with Jehu. And she asks the same question as before. Is it peace? This time, Jehu's answer is "Is less direct. You're the one that disrupts the peace of God. You want peace? You're going to pay for it with your life. She's thrown out the window and trampled True peace comes through the judgment of God. And God judges according to his word. Look again at verse 36. This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. The, The judgment of God will render sin and idolatry virtually unrecognizable in the same way that sin and idolatry make the peace of God unrecognizable. What do you look to for peace? Is it your own sin, your own idolatry? Do you look to sex and sexuality to find peace with yourself and others? Do you medicate the pain of life with entertainment and pleasure? Friends, the, the difficulties of life are meant to point us to the peace of God which can only be found in his judgment against sin. Earthly substitutes will never bring lasting peace. C.S. Lewis says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The perfect world that God created is the standard of peace. A relationship with God in his presence is the standard of everything being the way that it's supposed to be. No, no cheap earthly substitutes are going to replace that. True peace only comes through the judgment of God. Our third example shows that, that not even innocence is enough to bring peace. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize The narrative, Jehu coerces the elders of Samaria to slaughter the rest of Ahab's sons and put their heads on display at Jezreel. Verse 9. Then in the morning when he went out, he stood and said to all the people, You are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who struck down all of these? Know then that there shall fall to the earth, Nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. So Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men and his close friends and his priests, until he left none remaining. Then he set out and went to Samaria. On the way, when he was at Beth-Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah. And he said, who are you? And they answered, we are the relatives of Ahaziah, and we came down to visit the royal princes and the sons of the queen mother. He said, take them alive. And they took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of Beth-Echid, 42 persons, and he spared none of them. God's word does not return void. We often use passages like Isaiah 55, 11, to claim that that the good promises of God will come to pass, but we see here that it's the words of judgment that don't fall to the earth. And there's no appeal to innocence. The elders of Samaria know that they're guilty of the same slaughter as Jehu. Their own violence is a result of fear that God's judgment will reach them as well. And as Jehu is on his way to Samaria, he encounters relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah personally, I think this section is harder than the one about Jezebel. We know that Jezebel deserved what came to her, but but this passage goes out of its way to display the innocent nature of these people. They don't they don't know anything about what's happening. They don't even know the kings are dead, that Jezebel is dead. They just want to visit Ahaziah. Quite literally, in the Hebrew, they they want to ask after their well-being, after their shalom, their peace. And still The judgment of God comes on them because of their association with the idolatry of Ahab. Look at verse 17. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained of Ahab in Samaria till he wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. No no appeal to innocence can bring true peace. I didn't know any better. Is this really sin? Everyone does it. I'm mostly telling the truth. How about this one? The Bible doesn't say, I can't do it. Do you think that you can have peace with God by justifying yourself and your actions? Even, even your own conscience will condemn you. There's no peace without the judgment of God. True peace only comes through the judgment of God. As a final example of this point in verses 18 to 27, Jehu completely wipes out the prophets of Baal and Samaria. And even though the the concept of peace isn't explicit here, like it was in the previous sections, we see that idolatry destroys peace. Baal worship is condemned because the people are worshiping a false god. They're robbing the true God of his glory. They were sinning against God's law in their sexual practices, in their divination. And are we so different? When we look to peace, when we look for peace outside of God, we're bringing judgment on ourselves in the same way that Ahab did. And in the same way that Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel, so God will remove us from his presence and from true peace. What's the result of Jehu's violent revolution? Verse 28, thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in carrying out what was right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generations shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. Jehu was not the final solution of God to bring true and lasting peace. Yes, his obedience earned four generations of kings in his wake, but ultimately his own family would be rejected and judged by God in the same way that Ahab's was. Jehu was not the king who would bring ultimate judgment and peace. In fact, the author draws an almost direct contrast between Jehu's violent revolution and the nearly bloodless revolution that happens across the border in chapter 11. Where did Jehu fail? He brought the judgment of God, but he failed to recreate the kingdom of Israel in conformity to God's law. Ultimately, he failed to bring lasting peace. Why is this good news? We've already exposed that all of us are subject to God's, lo- God's judgment in one way or another. We look to other things to bring peace. We violate our conscience. We shift our worship of God to the worship of ourselves and the things we create. How can the judgment of God bring us perfect and eternal peace when we deserve to be recipients of his wrath? It's because Jehu was only a shadow of the true anointed King of God, who brings true peace by taking the judgment of God in our place. Why is this good news? Why is this the message of Christianity? It's because we can experience peace through the judgment of God, because God judged Jesus in our place we receive shalom. We receive a perfect and right relationship with God that Jesus deserved for his obedience and Jesus took on himself the brutal and violent judgment of God in our place. John Stott says the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. The peace of God comes through the judgment of Christ. Listen to Isaiah 53, 5. He, that is Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We can receive that peace by turning from our sin, by turning from our idolatry and trusting in Jesus alone. By trusting in Jesus' death to atone for our sins. Turn from following the kings of this world and turn to the true king, Jesus. Maybe you're experiencing the brokenness and the hurt of this world. You feel stuck, difficult family life, lost friendships. You long for a world where everything is made right. God is not a God who is far off. It says in his word, I dwell in the high and holy place And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. God's mercy is greater than our sin, greater than our pain and our brokenness. Christ bore the judgment of God so that you can experience a true and perfect relationship with God himself. This proclamation of peace is not just an escape from judgment. It's not just an end to conflict. Peace with God doesn't just mean you don't have to go to hell. It's a restoration of the perfection of God's design. Mankind living in perfect harmony with their creator and with the rest of creation. This is what the gospel offers. This is what we Christians place our hope in. And one day, Christ will return to make all things new. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. A holy God and a redeemed people shall dwell together. Never again will they be separated from the curse of sin. This is why we worship together. This is why the promise of God's judgment in the Old Testament is good news. Because with the proclamation of the gospel, Jesus himself stands before you. And he says, peace be with you. Repent of your sin. Turn to him in faith and he will heal you. This isn't a promise of a pain-free life. This isn't an escape from the brokenness of this world. This is a promise of an eternity in fellowship with God and his people when Christ returns to make all things new. If you're not a Christian, you, you must turn to Christ in faith and repentance or you will face his judgment On the last day, and there will be no peace for you. The very same Christ who is King of Peace and Prince of Peace is also the one who brings judgment. That same day he returns to bring Shalom for his people, he will return to judge by the sword. Revelation nineteen eleven, Noah read it for us earlier. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. You must receive Christ now in order to experience his peace, On the last day. If you're a Christian here this morning, we learn from this text that that God desires to purge idolatry and immorality from his covenant people. Are there sins that you're allowing to, to cloud your view of God's judgment? Do not presume on the kindness and forbearance of God. Do not look to other things in this world for peace. And fulfillment, lest, lest the church of God become unrecognizable and suffer his rejection and judgment. But be encouraged that we have peace with God and with others. There is no more wrath for us who believe. We have freedom to enter into the very presence of God. This is why we, we can confess our sins to God, knowing that He will forgive us, because He's already forgiven us in Christ. And the restoration of peace with God leads to peace with others. Katie read Ephesians 2 for us earlier that that Christ himself is our peace, who broke down the dividing wall of hostility and made peace between man. If Christ's work reconciled Jews and Gentiles in the Ephesian church, people who were so different, he can certainly bind us together in unity, regardless of our differences as we continue to live in this broken world, as we long for a better one, as we look forward to the new creation of God, let us be encouraged to keep our gaze firmly on Christ. Isaiah 26.3, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind has stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in Jesus alone, who can bring lasting and perfect peace. Let's pray.